of a third newsworthy incident in two months and to the embarrassment of administrators, hospital-wide cultural and sexual sensitivity training were mandated for all personnel involved with patient care. It was a one-day training session, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., with employers hoping to get out a little early. To spark some life into her Monday morning class, an energetic instructor grouped together a CRNA, a PCT, a nurse, and a nurse practitioner for an icebreaker called Find 10 Things in Common. Taking one last sip of their coffee, the group assembled near an easel labeled Group 6. Before shaking hands or introducing oneself, status roles were already being established. Plain clothes and IDs in bag, most members in the group are subconsciously, or in some cases, strategically internalizing who they would like to be paired with, to charm, or to establish a rapport. Comparative measurements, jaded reference points, and fictional stories are being written at the glimpse of wedding rings, watches, shoes, glasses, brand of purse, height, build, posture, you name it. What they really want to know is, what is his or her title? Or more appropriately, what is their status? The void of luxury items evokes the very same emotion. He's wearing a Casio watch. She has a red string tied on her wedding finger. Those are very interesting tattoos. What is his or her status? Now, status isn't solely about money. It's about looks. Who knows who? What car you drive? What school you graduated from? What school your kids go to? Where you live? The credentials after your name? Let me ask you, do you think status matters to you? I would have to say yes. Not because you want it to, but because it's etched into the framework of our society and everyone who markets things to us, to you, to the fringe outliers are aware of this. And those who choose not to market things to us are also aware they're simply trying to appeal to a subgroup of people who don't want what everyone has. Case in point, why does that miserable NP PA or RN seems so pleasant when speaking with that attending. It's perceived status to believe your style choices, ideologies, or authenticities are untouched or to say you've been living under a rock or that you're under the age of two. Yes, two years old. That attention-seeking co-worker is just as aware and motivated as that three or four-year-old. In the presence of someone with perceived status, be it extreme beauty, wealth, power, or MD credentials, most people become a little bit more passive. Is what they say really that much funnier or interesting? Do you greet the lady who empties the garbage beside you every day with the same glee, if at all? I'm referring to the same way you address that doctor who may or may not speak to you at all. 
if it wasn't part of their job or you weren't caring for their patient? Just a question. My first car was a used Honda Accord. It was in great condition and reliable. It's what I thought I could afford at the time. I had no issues with it and felt very comfortable driving it. A few years down the road and a few raises in tow, I decided to lease an Acura. I wanted something a little cooler, something fresh. It wasn't Acura's top model. That wasn't in my budget, but I felt, or more accurately, I bought into what I thought society felt would be an upgrade. And that's despite me knowing Acura is the luxury division of Honda, and because of that, it has the very same engine under the hood. But I found a way to justify it. We all do. When that lease was up, what do you think I did? That's right. I sure did. I leased the BMW. Again, not their most impressive model, but chic in my eyes anyway. My justification? After about five years of throwing every dollar I could at student loans, it was paid off. Bye-bye Sally Mae. Hello, higher car lease payments. Did I think it was foolish? Absolutely. Did I sign the lease? Absolutely. Was it fast? It sure was. Did it hold corners? Like a door hinge. How many times have I truly experienced what my car can do? A lackluster handful of times. Why? Because I live in New York City. And all I really needed was one speeding ticket. With points off my license to curb that need for speed. And to be honest, I didn't always feel comfortable saying my car was a BMW or even taking out the garage where I work. Why? Because I paint myself a modest person. And what does that have to do with the price of peas in China? Absolutely nothing. But our culture curates an image of what it means to be modest. And Mr. Modesty doesn't drive a luxury vehicle. And I say this all to say, I still want a Porsche 911. Not because I wholeheartedly believe it's an impressive car. It's because marketing and the social signaling meshed with that vehicle and many other vehicles is real. I know some of you may be saying, you would never lease a luxury vehicle, let alone lease a car at all. And that may very well be the case. But take a moment to look at your other lifestyle choices. Did you need that new pair of sneakers? That new hiking gear? Those Lululemon workout clothes? So, the wine glasses in your home are from Target. But the wine glasses you gifted are from Crate and Barrel. Maybe it improves the taste. It doesn't improve the taste. Do you need that latest Apple Watch? Oh, it can do an EKG. Sounds like a great gift for your grandmother.
author and entrepreneur Seth Godin, who inspired this podcast, notes that status means nothing without that quintessential emotion we know is shame. This is what marketers prey on. The things we do, the lengths we go, in order to increase status in our circle, not the world, are done to avoid shame. Did I feel shame driving in a cord? Not at all. I jump in my car and I drive. Inside, inside my head, did I feel a little different in an Acura? Did I feel even more of a difference in a BMW? Did I feel like I may have been looked at different, negatively or positively? As I mentioned earlier, I would have to say an uncomfortable yes, I did. And it's right there that marketers win. It's this juxtaposition between status and shame that motivates us to pursue careers, degrees, and relationships we have no business pursuing. And it's all structured in our heads to somehow get ahead. It's important to understand that what we think we want, who we think we want to be, our internal motivations may actually be influenced by playmakers stringing you along a particular path. Is this tug of war between status and shame healthy? When balanced, yes. It's a motivator and helps guide us. More importantly, it's natural. We are tribal by nature and want to fit into some circle of people. And I say this all to say, just be aware of it. So what exactly does this have to do with nursing? It has everything to do with every industry, not just nursing. Want to get under someone's skin? Insult their status. Want to elevate your status? Elevate someone's status. You know who they are. But this is Alt-RN, and I want you to know it's okay to color outside the lines and pursue your passions. Your success, mastery, and knowledge outside of nursing has the ability to elevate your status across all industries. How? Why would status as a yoga instructor give you status as a nurse? It gives you layers, more depth, your skill stacking. It's the same reason why California legislators consulted Jessica Beale, the actor, about the use of vaccines. Now, what does she have to do with the price of peas in China? Absolutely nothing. She's an actor with status, and people will give her the benefit of the doubt. If your ability as a yoga instructor allowed you to generate a significant amount of money or attract the attention of, say, a Jessica Bill, those same people who looked at your craft as a little hobby, eyes would open a little wider. And it won't be because they see your worth. They simply don't know worth when they see it. Don't feel pressured to follow the masses or an outline path. It's a school for a few, but a prison for many. All these layers you may already have and continue to develop don't exist unless you share it with others. I can't stress enough. It's important to share it with others and help them grow.
So what happened after that icebreaker exercise? Through conversation and working through the activity, many of the group members were taken aback when the PCT revealed that he owns five multifamily homes, three apartment buildings, and still can't believe his daughter attends Harvard. The CRNA, RN, and NP sometimes give each other a pleasant good morning when passing each other in the hallway but all three of them walk up and shake the PCT's hand when they see him in the cafeteria. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Get to know someone, follow your passions, share your experience. Most importantly, shake things up. favorite podcast platform.